We're in Luke chapter 10. Before we read the passage that we're going to read, and it's going to begin in verse 25, I just want to um, raise a question for y'all that I want you to think about before we look at this. And the question is this. Um, We've been talking about sanctification, growing into becoming more and more like Jesus, more more and more like the person that you were created to be, redeemed to be. But, okay, so what's the point what are we being sanctified for? Are, are we just uh, growing so that we can sit in a corner and be really joyful and excited about you and Jesus? Is that the point of it all? Well, it actually gets better than that. And so what I want to look at tonight is this great passage that's famous for a number of different reasons. But I, before we look at it again, I want to raise just one more question to you. And I want you to think about this. What would the good life look like for you? If you could just envision what the good life would be for you, you know, what would it be? So, you know, visualize it in your head. No need to respond audibly. For me, the good life for me would look something like a, um, like an L.L. Bean catalog where everybody is, um, like, bar, you know, dressed up nice. Everyone's smiling. Everyone has, you know, perfectly straight teeth. They're all uh, drinking lemonade and grilling barbecue and there's lots of khaki everywhere. (laughs) But this passage has really made me ask the question, is that the good life? Maybe. Maybe not. Let's look at this passage from uh, Luke chapter 10 beginning in verse 25. It says this, on one occasion an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, what's written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? And he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Well, you've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. And, and, uh, but he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, Okay, but, and who is my neighbor? And in reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, where he fell into the hands of robbers. And they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So, too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. And he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Now, which of these three do you think was the neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Let me pray, and then we will look at this together. All right? Let's pray. Father, we do ask that in these next few moments you would be with us, 
Uh, you know, it's been a long and a fun and uh, enjoyable past uh, few days. And so here we are at the end, and we need your grace and your spirit to be with us, to teach us, to keep us attentive and focused. And so we would ask that you would do so in these next few moments. And we would pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So here's what's going on in this passage that I just read. This um, religious Bible scholar, you may think of him as like a teacher at a Bible school. He comes up to Jesus and he asks him this question. Now the reason he asks Jesus this question is because he has seen Jesus hanging out with really bad people. Prostitutes, tax collectors, drunkards, party animals, really trashy, nasty people. And so he wants to ask Jesus a question in order to trick him, in order to to expose him. And so he comes up to Jesus and he says, okay, Jesus, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And he's expecting Jesus to say something like this. Well, all you have to do is uh, accept me as your personal Lord and Savior, and uh, you can kind of just do whatever you want then. It doesn't really matter. But you just have to have me as your personal Savior. But notice that's not what Jesus does. Jesus looks at him and says, okay, well, you're the big Bible scholar dude. What does it say in the Bible? And the guy quotes him, this great passage, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, that's great. A plus on the test. Good job. But this answer is not good enough for this Bible professor because when it says love your neighbor as yourself that could mean anybody am I just supposed to love every just love every human that I meet that's going to take me a lot of time and a lot of effort that can't mean what that means and that can't be what that means and so he asks him okay 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 let's will this thing down what does the Bible mean when it says your neighbor and so then Jesus launches into this story what has come to be called the parable of the good Samaritan Right, And the story is pretty simple. It's about this Jewish guy who's walking down the road. And these thieves jump out and, and jump him and mug him and beat him up and leave him, leave him on the ground. And then these two religious guys, a priest and a Levite, walk by and they see him and they keep going. And then this Samaritan comes up. And you remember Samaritans, Jewish people, don't get along. They don't like each other. Samaritan comes up. Sees him on the ground, takes care of him, bandages him, takes him to the hospital, the end. And Jesus says, okay, which of these three do you think was the neighbor? And because the, you know, the, this Jewish guy can't even say the word Samaritan because he hates him so much, he just says, the one that had mercy. And Jesus says, okay, good. Go and do that. The end. Let's close in prayer. No, I mean, what, what is going on here? Jesus is telling this unbelievable story to say, if you want to know what the, the good life is, the sanctified life, it looks like loving God with everything in you and serving in tangible ways your neighbor. And so what I want to do is just kind of draw out three quick implications of what he's talking about. I want to look at the necessity of service, the extent of of service, and then the motive of service, okay? Jesus is going to teach us these three things, the necessity of service, the extent of it, and then the motive for it. 
So first, the necessity of service. Here's what's going on. Jesus is looking at this Bible scholar and saying this. Look, it's not enough to have the right theology. It's not enough to know all the right Bible answers. That's not enough. If you have all the right facts and data in your head, but you don't actually love people in tangible ways, you're not loving your neighbor. You're not, fo- you're not a Christian. You're not following God. And here's, what's, here's why this is relevant for you. It's because you may be the type of person that knows all the right Bible answers. You're in a small group. A question gets asked to you, and you know the answer. You know the right Bible facts. And yet, if we looked at your life, it's all about you. Your time is yours. Your money is yours. Your stuff is yours. Your whole life revolves around you, and you're not loving anyone. And Jesus is saying, if that's you, if you have right information in your head, but your life is not marked by tangible service to other people, something's wrong. Now, I don't know how you feel about Duke basketball. I I do know how you feel now. But regardless of how you feel, you have to at least admit this, that their coach, Coach K, is, you know, a basketball genius. He's he's brilliant. He's smart. You you may not like him, that Tar Heel shirt on. But you have to at least give the man credit. The man knows basketball. But here's the thing. You would not want Coach K on your basketball team, right? I mean, he's like 5'8", he's old, he doesn't know what he's doing on the basketball, he would just get owned in the paint. Elbows would be busting his teeth all up in the basketball paint. Here's the point. Even though Coach K is smart about the game of basketball, if the minute he tries to play, he's going to get destroyed. My point is this. Information is not enough. Action is required. And Jesus is saying this with this story. Serving other people, loving other people in tangible ways, it is a non-negotiable. It's not an option. That's actually what it means to love God and to love your neighbor. See what he's saying? The necessity of it. Let's look secondly at the extent of it. What's, okay, what's the extent to which we're supposed to love people then, Jesus? Well, in order for this Samaritan to love this guy that's been beaten up on the road, I want you to see that it costs him three things. It costs him his safety, his schedule, and his savings. His safety, his schedule, and his savings. I just want to look at these just kind of quickly. First of all, it cuts into his safety. When it says that this was on a road from Jerusalem to Jericho, this is actually a famous stretch of road, and it's in the mountains. And so there's all these different little hills and rocks and caves and stuff for thieves and robbers to hide in. And so, when this guy was walking along and these robbers jumped out and beat him up and stole all of his money, when the first two guys walked by, the priest and the Levite, one of the reasons why they may have kept going is because they realized, okay, the robbers are still around here. If we stop and help this guy, they may jump out and beat us up too. So this this is this is a little too dangerous for us to take care of. And so they kept going. But the Samaritan, notice what he does. He stops and he kneels down and he takes care of the man. He puts himself directly in harm's way. It, it, it cuts into his safety. 
But secondly, it also cuts into his schedule. Look at all, I mean, just look at the story again. Look at how much time he is devoting to take care of this dude. First of all, he sees him and then gives him medical aid. He puts him on his own donkey, which means now he is walking. And they're probably turning around and going back to the city where they just came from. Which means they're going all the way, he's backtracking. He puts him up at the inn, stays with him for the night. And in the next morning, he says to the innkeeper, hang on to him for a few days and I'll be back to check on him. He's devoting lots of time to this dude. Now you have to imagine, the reason why the Samaritan is on the road in the first place is because he's, he's trying to go somewhere. He's got stuff to do. He's not just on like a casual donkey ride looking around for people to help. But this guy he sees and he takes care of it and it cuts into his schedule. He's having to like cancel stuff to take care of this guy. He's canceling appointments. He's going to be late on his, with his family. It's cutting into his schedule. And lastly, we see that it, this is cutting into his savings. I mean, look at how much money this guy is shelling out to take care of this dude. Uh, he, he gives him his own bandages. He gives him his transportation. He covers all of the expenses at the inn, which would have covered his medical expenses and his food. He's just shelling out money for this guy. Here's what I want you to see. To love other people in the way that Jesus is calling us to love other people is unbelievably costly. It will cost you your safety, your schedule, and your savings. Now here's the question. Who in your life do you need to love like this? Maybe someone in this room? Maybe someone at your school? Maybe someone in your family? Someone that you know just in town? Actually, let me ask you the flip side of this question. I want you to think of that person or that group of people at your school that you want nothing to do with. Those people that you gossip about, you joke about, you make fun of behind their backs, you talk bad about. The people that you don't like. This passage is saying, okay, you see those people? Can you visualize their faces? That's who you need to go love like this. You need to give up your safety, your schedule, and your savings for that person. Now, if you're at all tracking with this, if you're tuning in and listening to what this is saying, you're asking yourself the question, okay, how in the world can I do this? Why in the world would I do this? Why would I give up my money, my time, and maybe even jeopardize my safety for people I don't like? Who may hurt me? Where do we get the motive to love people this radically, this outlandishly? Well, that's the third and the last thing I want to look at tonight. The motive of service. We looked at the necessity of it, the extent of it, and now the motive of service. Because the motive that Jesus gives you here is unbelievably uh, revolutionary. Let me ask you a question. Don't answer out loud. Just think of it in your head. What does God owe you? Do you have your answer? What do you think God owes you? I'm not going to ask you to say it out loud. Just hold that answer in your head. My guess is most of you thought of this. God owes me nothing. And you would be wrong. 
Let me ask you another question. How do you define this word grace? Don't answer it out loud. Just think of it. What is the definition to the word grace? A lot of people say that grace is when you give favor in the absence of merit. Favor in the absence of merit. Meaning, let's say uh, I walk up to you, and because I'm very nice, I say, I'm going to buy you dinner. You did nothing to deserve it. There was no merit that prompted you to earn it from me. You didn't like wash my car or mow my yard. I was just, I gave you a hamburger for dinner. <laughs> that would be grace if you define it favor in the absence of merit. But that's not what grace is. Grace is favor in the presence of demerit. Do you see the difference? Favor in the presence of demerit. That means you walk up to me, punch me in the face, and then I buy you dinner. (laughs) That's what grace is. You hit me, you hurt me, and all I owe you is revenge, retaliation, and instead of giving that to you, I give you something that you did not radically deserve. So what is it that God owes you? Think about this. God owes you punishment, justice, wrath. That is what he owes you. But that's not what he gives you. Look at this story again. Notice how Jesus set it up. Jesus put the hero of the story as a Samaritan. And he put the guy that he was talking with, the Jewish guy, on the road, beaten up. And he looks at this guy and he says, okay, what happens now? What happens when there's a Samaritan that comes up who owes you nothing but hostility? What do you do? What do you do if your only hope of getting help is from an act of grace and mercy from someone who owes you nothing but hostility? What if you are in the road lying there beaten, bloodied, left for dead, and your only hope is from your enemy? Here's what Jesus is saying. You will never be able to shell out this type of service, this type of love to people unless you first drink in the gospel, unless you first put yourself in the story as the person who is beaten and bloodied on the side of the road and your only hope is from someone who owes you nothing but wrath and punishment. Because what happens is that God decides, I'm going to send my son Jesus, and he is going to bear the wrath and the punishment on the cross, and he is going to get what he does not deserve, so that you can receive blessing and happiness and honor, which is what you do not deserve either. Do you see how there's a switch? Uh, Think of it like this. Let's say that I uh, played basketball for the Miami Heat NBA. Sorry, but it's not that hard to imagine that I could be an NBA basketball player. (laughs) And let's say that I'm playing with uh, LeBron. And of course, LeBron is just having just a crazy night. He's, he's just, you know, he's hitting threes all over the place. He's just dunking all over, all over people. He's owning the court. Drops like 45 points, triple-double. Now, I'm playing as well. 
because I'm in the NBA in this made-up story. <laughs> and, of course, I'm doing terribly. People are passing me the ball, and I'm, it's bouncing off my feet. It's going out of bounds. I'm throwing up bricks. I'm getting just thrown around. <laughs> terrible, terrible score. And then the next day in the paper, paper comes out, and there's this picture and it, across the top, in huge letters, it says, Matt Howell, who is this basketball phenom? Best basketball player we've seen, ever. <laughs> and you see this picture of LeBron crunching Duncan over somebody. But the jersey that he's wearing says Howell on the back. <laughs> and the, throughout the whole game, we didn't realize it, but our jerseys had been switched. And so, if you look at the stats on the, uh, on the game... Under LeBron's name, zero, 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 zero. Zero points, zero rebounds, zero assists. Terrible. Matt Howell statistics, 45 points, 20 rebounds, on and on and on and on and on. Here's the point. When that switch happens, that means I get all of the credit of his performance and none of the criticism of my own. And for LeBron, he gets all of the criticism of my performance and, and none of the credit of his own. And that's exactly what happens in this story. The gospel story is that when you come to Jesus by faith, you get to wear his jersey. And he has lived a life of perfect righteousness, who cared for people perfectly. And you get the credit for that. And your life, which has been basically about you loving yourself, indulgent in your own sinfulness, lazy, greedy, lustful, all of that gets put on Jesus and that's why he gets punished. He gets what you deserve, you get what he deserves and when that gets into your bloodstream and you see that's the way that he has treated me, that's the way that you want to treat others. That's where you get the motive. Joy, inflamed gratitude is where and how you can live this life of tangible service and love for other people that don't deserve it. Because until you learn to love broken, needy people who will not repay you, who will not feel grateful for what you've done to them, until you love people like that, you will never know what it was like for God to love you. So here's what this means. Find someone to serve. Find someone to love. Not because it earns you points. You've already, you already have the credit of perfection because of Jesus. But flowing from that, the sanctified life, the good life, is laying down yours for the sake of your enemies. Will this uh, cut into your safety? Yeah. Will this cut into your schedule? Yeah. Will it cut into your savings? Yeah. Will your life be about you any longer? No. And believe it or not, that is the good life. Jesus says when you lose your life for me and my sake, you actually find it. That's your invitation for tonight. Find someone to serve because of how Jesus has served you. Let me pray. Father, we do ask that as we leave here, you would rivet and focus our eyes deeply on the cross. And because of the way that we have been loved so graciously, so profoundly, out of that, would you enable us to love our friends and even our enemies in the same way that you have loved us. Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for this group. I pray that you would make us into people that are more and more 
that look more and more like your son Jesus. That's our prayer, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.